A second lesson for today. It's from 1 John chapter 2. This will serve as the basis for the sermon this morning. God's children in this world are those who participate and reflect his light in this world. Listen as the Apostle John makes these connections between your life and the light of Christ in the world. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet, I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. The word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, what a glorious light shines in your hearts by the gospel. Our Lord Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Those rich, beautiful words were my confirmation verse. Precious to me, just for that reason, I can think about what God did by his Holy Spirit on my heart through the time I spent in my catechism and in catechism class, reading passages, learning the word, and Jesus proclaiming himself in every last syllable, I am your light too, Daniel Bondo. I am your light too, the light of the world. Mammoth Cave. You ever heard of it? Have you been there? It was one of the early vacation spots in the United States as people worked west. It was quickly discovered and it was quickly set aside and preserved. Mammoth Cave is, you guessed it, a mammoth cave. And it's in Kentucky. And if you uh, were to camp at Mammoth Cave Campground, you could also go and take a tour underneath Guess how many miles of cave they have explored already in this mammoth cave? Any guesses? Somebody want to toss out a number? Miles. How many miles of cave? Five. You gave us a percentage? Of the cave, they think they're almost to half. How many miles, though? Give me a number of miles. Joe, I'm picking on you. Give me some miles. Say what? 
200, 400 explored miles for Mammoth Cave. And they estimate there's another 600 left. Sometimes it's like, am I, am I walking on something solid or not? Like go to Kentucky and just sink in a sinkhole or something like that? But of course you can go way down, like flights of stairs, down into the ground. They have paved walkways and tunnels and plenty of little lighting along the side uh, for you to navigate and explore Mammoth Cave and some of the rooms, that, you know, as they call them, you step into these rooms in this big limestone labyrinth and you end up looking around. It's like you could fit an entire football stadium in here or something like that. It's, it is just unbelievable what's down there. And then... Of course, what does the tour guide have to do? If you're down in a cave, what does he have to do? Tell me what he's got to do. He's got to turn the lights off. You would not get your money's worth if you didn't turn off the lights. And when they do it, it is utter and complete. It's the most dark experience you could have in the world. You could, right? You could do this all you want, and besides the breeze on my face right now, I would have no clue that my hand was there by my eyesight because there's just absolutely no light there. What you read in the Word of God should so move and stir you precisely for this reason. Because without that Word, utter Blackness, utter darkness is all there is. When we have a metaphor in Scripture, we are not talking about, you know, how many lumens this light bulb will give you in your living room. When we talk about light and dark, we are talking about distinct, separate properties. That darkness is an absolute, utter, and total darkness, and light is an absolute, brilliant, and glorious light. And they have nothing in common. They do not coexist. Light, when it is there, which, of course, the tour guide's going to flick the switch back on, and you'd be like, whoa, thank you. That was really, it's haunting, right? It's haunting to be in that kind of darkness. But once the light is there, it lights everything. It can't not light. It's just that awesome property of light that if it's facing and if it's, you know, whatever it is, the rays or energy or what, I don't get it, but, you know, you have light that spreads and it fills, right, to whatever degree of luminosity that that is. Okay, am I making up words? I shouldn't do that from the pulpit, okay? Don't make up words when you preach. Um, but... That's the point, is to highlight that they don't coexist together. And when Scripture speaks of darkness, you have to go down to the bottom of Mammoth Cave and turn the lights off. And when Scripture speaks of light dawning in Galilee, and that Jesus went with words of the gospel and the good news of the kingdom, you need to see the warmest, brightest, friendliest, most jubilant light how precious, how precious it is. So that's where we meet in 1 John chapter 2. We meet because the gospel of the Lord Jesus connects with your life. And the Apostle John, in writing this letter, he starts this chapter by saying, I write this to you so that you will not sin. 
what the Apostle John wants to do in 1 John. And this is really important because when you read it, you can get thoroughly confused. Is he wants to separate like this. He wants to push apart your concepts of darkness and light and all the things associated with them. But when he starts, he doesn't talk in metaphor, right? He does it at the end of our reading, but not at the start. And when he starts, he talks about the gospel. He talks about what we have seen and heard, what, we, what makes us different. He connects with us. He meets with us. And he, he reminds us of Jesus and the gospel that has anchored our souls to the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And in doing that, he begins to make an association. So you play a game like pin the tail on a donkey, right? And without the blindfold, where you would take a characteristic or an attribute and you would go and match the label to light or match the label to darkness. Or in, as he starts the letter, he says, I want you to know what is Christian. I want you to know who, you remember who Christ is and I write this to you so you'll continue to do the things that are Christ and not sin, which is not Christ. And throughout this letter, he is describing characteristics that define this and the things that define that so that you can make these little tallies because guess what happens in your life? These worlds collide all the time. The darkness and the light are always enmeshed around you. And there's a world that says, that's not sinful. No blood, no foul, that's not sinful. If it stays up here, that's got to count for something. That's not sinful. Or the, you know, the barometer, the standard for morality, how you would measure what counts as the will of God. Today's world makes its definition based on its experience and opinions and self, selfish ways, self-preservation, right? What's comfortable, what's trendy. We're looking for something to serve as a standard, Right? The same thing was happening to believers in the early Christian church. There's a guy named Serinthus. Serinthus is tied to early Gnosticism, G-N-O-S-T-I-C-I-S-M, Gnosticism. And that Gnosticism, it's, it took away from Christ's true divinity and humanity as a savior, but it also pre preached a dualism that what you did in your head was different from your hands because spirit and body are distinct in such a way that the only thing that counted is what you do spiritually, what you do up here. And it doesn't matter what you do with your body. So all of a sudden, some people felt like, I can live however I want. I can do things with my hands. I can do things with other parts of my body and sexual immorality and not be held accountable for it because it's what's up here that counts, according to Gnosticism. So it kind of gave people a moral free pass not to be obedient to God, but to do their own thing. What does John come along and say today? If somebody says, I know God, but they don't follow his words, that's not light. That's, that's darkness. I'm calling Serinthus out. I'm saying you have to pay attention to what you do because God says pay attention to what you do. And his, his word is here in my metaphorical light column, okay? So we're going to make this the light side today. We're going to make this the darkness side today. And we're going to work these two sides together as you pin the tail on the donkey, 
and one of those pins, John says, you have to remember this in your world, that in morality, God speaks, and God's word has light here for what's right and what's wrong, and you can't do that. You see how you need this also in your life? You need it in your heart, because darkness and light come blended together, and you say, my neighbor ticked me off by what they did, and I want to be really upset. And there's a temptation to think, that's okay, I have every right to be upset. Everybody else in my position would be upset. But it's darkness. That has nothing to do with who you are. It has nothing to do with Jesus. It has nothing to do with his word and what his word calls you to do in response to your neighbor's wickedness. All of these things, what do they do every time you pin the tail on the donkey? What do they bring you back to? They always bring you back to a story. How did Jesus treat me? How did Jesus treat me when, when I was that bad neighbor in the world? You know that grace, we call it God's love for the undeserving, but it's really grace for those who deserve the opposite. Undeserving is one thing, like you get a gift as a surprise, oh, I didn't deserve this. Well, I'm just doing it because it's a gift to you. But notice what I just said. Grace is a gift to those who deserve punishment. What did God do while we were still sinners? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the passage. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Look where that light went. Look what that light did. John says, people of the light, they sniff it, they see it, and they live in it, they love it. And you learn to love it by the gospel, by the introduction to Jesus, and how he preached in the world, how he walked in the world, how he lived in the world, how he died for the world, and how he lived again. And he, he brings that out in these words by saying, 1 John chapter 2, if you say, I know him, but you, you don't do what he commands, you're a liar. When someone obeys the word, when they live in the story that they've heard, when they continue in the words of God, love for God is made complete in him. Whoever claims to live in Jesus must live as Jesus did. Your constant question would be, what does the light do? What does the light do? How can I reflect the light? How can I please my Lord Jesus today? That's the question. All the other games, and I guarantee you there's a thousand of them, that your hearts will play with wickedness. All the other games that you play with the darkness, the little scale that you make is, I can, I can do this, I can behave this way, I can not forgive fully, I'll just stop talking to them, and that's fine, and then my anger won't be stirred, and that's, that's how I'll move forward spiritually in that moment, in that relationship. And that's not it. Blessed are the peacemakers. Go make peace. Blessed are those who, right, make peace with others. Blessed are those who forgive. Forgive your enemies. Pray for them. Jesus is an entirely different ballgame. And you know why? It's because his whole light to the world oozes that story in its complete distinction and non-coexistence with the darkness. You have a light personified in the person of Christ that always preaches and speaks to you the tender love that met you when you didn't deserve it. 
that shined on you, that warmed you when you were in cold, black, dark, and nevertheless called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Is that not the description of the New Testament for the church? Every single time you play the game, pin the tail on the donkey, and I say it that way because John does it in every chapter, and he does it over and over again. He takes a characteristic, and he says, those who love the Lord, those who live in the light, they obey his commands. They connect it to what he says, so to what he's done. They follow him with everything that they do. Does that terrify you? <laughs> it's that language that can confuse you about this characteristic trait where you say, I'm not perfect. I don't do that. I don't obey the will of God like I should. Does that mean that this is where I belong? Absolutely correct. Thank you for answering the rhetorical question. <laughs> but why? Because my behavior is not the cause for my status. My behavior is a fruit of the status. So I'm going to mix another illustration in that we already have light and darkness on your heart and probably pin the tail and the donkey in there too. And now you get one more, a tree. That whenever we talk about our obedience to the will of God or a love for a neighbor, whenever John does it, whenever he pins the tail on the donkey, he's taking an apple and he's bringing it to the apple tree. And he's showing you, look at from root to fruit, how there's one beautiful living organism in the world that God has made. God who called you out of darkness as the root and source of your faith. The vine is Christ, the branches, the people, and what hangs in your life, what hangs on your limbs, what hangs on this branch, what comes out of what Christ has done for you, what comes out of his grace to the sinner and his calling out of darkness into the light, what comes out is someone who wants this, someone who wills it, someone who listens and hears, someone who prays it with their pastor in church, help us to be this and to do this. It's an assimilation project that my fruit would reflect my roots. I'm part of an apple tree, right? I let me bear apples. And you say, I am a Christian. That name Christ means something to me because of the grace shown to me. And going back to that well, going back into those roots, draw your nutrients out and let them bear these fruits. It's not this scary thing when you say I'm being disobedient, though it is scary because it's sin. It doesn't belong there. But it's not the cause that got you there. So little sinner, be called out of the darkness again and remember who you are and retrace your steps from roots to fruits of the light project that God is doing in this world and let yourself be brightened again and enlightened again in who you are. You see how applicable this is for Christians? Because when you come to church and you think about your sitting in a pew and you're sitting side by side with other people in church, your assimilation here is not to a group, it's not to a style of worship, it's not to the kindness or personality or the charm of the pastor, all things, I chose those adjectives myself. It is not attributed to anything related to that. Your assimilation 
and your enrichment, your brighter fruits, your glowing limbs. It's all connected to what? To what? What must it be? The Word of God. You will not get brighter watching more Netflix. You will not get brighter viewing more sports games. You will not get brighter starting a new hobby or diet. Lots of things to do for your new year. But you know what brings glorious light and enlightens you as it did every other Gentile is the good news of Jesus. Demand it here at church. Demand that you hear the stark contrast so you get blended living kicked out of your heart and you consecrate yourself this day as John calls you to redo it again. What is it like for someone to say, I know God? He said that. He said that. What is it like to say, I know God? It's not to say, and then I don't follow his word. It's for someone to say, I know God. Help me live your word. May everything I do be an expression of what you would say and what you would do. Fill me up. Change my fruits. Don't let me produce oranges, God. Let me bear fruit that gives glory to your name. If this is an apple tree, Lord, help me bear apples. Let me be a Christian in this world. And that comes from Christ. In the next section, he says, I'm not teaching you anything new here, right? But it's an old one. It's the same Jesus in every century, every generation, and every heart. I'm not teaching you a new command. This is an old one, which you've heard from the beginning. This old command is the word that was preached to you. And then he says this, but I am teaching you something new. And then you're like, okay, this is fun, John, but it's not that fun. Tell me what you mean. <laughs> it's an old thing, but it's a new thing. Okay, tell me more. It's the same word of God that you heard from the beginning of your Christianity. And now, and today, he says it's new. And it's being on display in him and in you. What is he saying? That in Christ, the light of the world was made apparent and revealed. Jesus appears. That light has appeared. You saw him, you heard him, you watched him, and you know what good news is because of him. The good news is the Savior who died on the cross. The good news is life beyond the grave. The good news is despite our sin and in the midst of our sinfulness, Jesus entered this world and took it upon himself. See, it's revealed new in Christ and in you. Every new year is a new chapter in your tree. You're adding a new ring to the life you live in Christ. Your opportunity to bear fruit in season is right there. That when the time is right for you to mourn over sin, that by the word of God and by his blessing you would mourn over sin. And when a time is right, which it is always right, for you to say no to sin, 
that in the strength and the root and the source of strength that God would give you, you would say no to sin. That when the time is right to you, for you to endure suffering and trouble, that you would do it with the fruit of the strength of God and patient endurance as Joanne Moore is doing the first time she heard the word cancer. And I said, you know what? God be praised. After we said a bunch of other things. God be praised. He's testing your faith. You can show us, Joanne. You get to teach us. God is giving you a calling to teach us what is it like to endure and stay Christian in the midst of cancer. When the time is right, you bear the fruit in season. What season is God bringing you through? What fruits, what challenges, what coworkers, what people in your life? They're all mixed for each and every one of you. And you kick out the darkness and you say, what would light have me do? That's where John goes with his holy epistle. Pin that tail to the donkey. Go right, you know where it belongs. Your blindfold is off. He actually has a huge lament when someone doesn't do that. It's someone says claims to be in the light, but they don't love their neighbor, right? But they hate their neighbor. He's like, that's, I'm gonna stick that over here. That doesn't belong over here. And then he talks about them. They're stuck in the darkness. Such a person, he uses the metaphor now, is in the darkness. They walk around in the darkness in their activity and the darkness has blinded them. Why does he say that? To say there's absolutely zero chance for someone who is living this unbelieving, hypocritical life claiming with a toe in Christianity to know God and yet hating their neighbor. And by so doing, they're in the dark, their activity continues in the dark, and they stumble around and they're stuck that way because someone turned the lights off in the cave, in their heart, in their stubborn unbelief, they insist on walking around feeling for the stalactites or whatever they're called, bumping their feet on the barriers and they can't find their way out of the cave because there's no light for them. That's what he says when this is going on in your heart. That sin in unbelief as, is that sympathy should be learned for us that it's so stuck, it's such a trap, such a trap for them. But for you, who know the word of God. There's a freedom in serving him. Whoever, whoever loves his neighbor, there is no cause for stumbling in him. Do you remember that phrase from our reading today? And what that means is you don't stub your toe when you can see the obstacle on the floor, right? Every living room becomes an obstacle course once you turn the lights off even getting from your bed to the bathroom, right? But turn the lights on, and there's no cause for stumbling. What is he saying? The freedom of a new life in Christ. You have what you need in the word of God to walk freely, confidently, by the word of God. There's nothing that's gonna trip you up when you live by that word. And love for your neighbor is the whole story, isn't it? It's the heart of God's will for you. Hatred is such a lie, such a selfish, self-important lie that you would hold on to some record of wrongs 
that you would not fulfill your calling to that person because of what they did to you. So I'm going to hate them. But there's such a story over here. My brothers and sisters in Christ, we're doing an exercise with John. We've only had two examples. The moral test and the social test, they're called. The will of God and obedience to his word and loving your neighbor socially. But both times, take your little thumbtack, pin the tail on the donkey, and remember who you are. That story, my friends in Christ, is the only light in your life. You're not going to find cause for loving someone, cause for purpose and meaning in your life any other place. The lights are all off over there. No truth, just lies. My dear friends, let us sink our teeth deeply together in the word of God. We are in a challenging time right now at Living Savior. The vacancy is going on and continues. Eight o'clock is not everybody's cup of tea for Bible class. And it's wearying when five, six people show up for a Bible class on a Sunday morning. I know, I know that we're missing light in your heart. And when your pastor disappears at the end of a nine o'clock service and jumps in his car to go to the other church and doesn't have the time, much time to greet or to get to know your story, it's wearying. But I know Jesus has you. And I know you can read your Bibles at home. But use the community. One of the beautiful things that's on our radar for the next three years is developing more concrete steps that you can take. A curriculum and classes for your growth in Christ. Law and gospel courses. Old Testament class. New Testament class. I'm developing materials. A whole spreadsheet with as much as I can put together and then want to implement it. Not just Sunday mornings, but including Sunday mornings. Seminar opportunities. Weeknight. Zoom night. Whatever. Let's be creative and let's make them happen. Let's be trained by the word of God so we get better at the distinction because our souls depend on it. So now you get the whole nitty gritty of the thrust of what John is trying to do in the hearts of people's lives. He knows what's here when you let this light shine in the world. How special that is when you live for God and not fuzzy God, but for God. Not some blended thing that really isn't him. Not some hypocritical thing that says one thing but does another, but lives according to, grows in Christian maturity. That's on the radar, folks. We're planning it out do more, show up, come, attend, encourage, use, pray. And let's make it happen together because we know what light is in the world and we want more of it. Amen.